Hello, Internet. My name is Walter Ciades Fedchuk, and welcome back to an incredibly special edition of the Rough, uh, the Final Cut podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. I promise you I will one day get that all in one take perfectly, but I cannot... I cannot withhold my excitement because as we are recording, it is Barbenheimer Day right now. It is 1040 at night. People are standing in line for midnight releases of Barbie and Oppenheimer. And yes, folks, those are the next two films we are going to be covering, but not on this Woo! episode. Instead, on this episode, I, my good wow, friend I am, and podcast First of all, host, hello, happy Chase to be Wasserner here, y'all. I am surprised that that's the intro. Like, the, the, that's Jones the framing the for, Destiny, for Mission Impossible. I should get to pick Indiana Jones, the next which long-running like, nostalgia action series that we need to watch. And Chase, you picked a doozy of a movie. getting better over time. It's been getting more positive attention and... Uh, feedback from people so I, I i guess it really this is just the the nature of like i have leaned a little bit more towards the spy stuff than the pure adventure stuff recently so maybe i, I just didn't realize that was the uh energy that you were going into mission impossible on but i'm sort of glad to be talking about it i i i think this was one heck of a roller coaster ride and i am excited to get into it Now, let us be very blunt. We are not talking about 1996's Mission Impossible. We are talking about the movie that came out on July 12, 2023. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. A title that would uh, would cause uh, Yahtzee Croshaw to, I think, have a brain aneurysm. Because and they do have to reckon with it. That's the other thing we know for sure. Is whatever is dead, there is other punctuation marks that in coming. this title to convey anything other than... It's a mission. It's impossible. Something is dead, and this is part one. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of confusing based on the title. Uh, but... This, this is very true. And it's funny, I was going to, you know, because of Barbenheimer, I was going to go find some, you know, uh, Pale Rider of Death quote and lead in with that. But I, I'm just too excited for it. And it's weird that I, a 31-year-old man, am excited about a movie called Barbie. But again, that's in two weeks, not today. So Chase, going in... I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, I, I don't think I've watched a Mission Impossible, I mean, Mission Impossible movie from fun, front to man. back since Mission I, it's Impossible It's one of those series. I, I um, haven't watched all of And that movie came them, out in 2000. Uh, my roommate so did just why don't you start DVD with what your kind of uh, first thoughts of and expectations were going into this, uh, and then I can give mine as someone who's But know, I remember really liking the first one. I think the second one is the one that people say is bad. And I don't necessarily disagree, though it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I don't I, I, I don't want to speak with too much confidence on that. Um, I kind of skipped then until Ghost Protocol, which was fun. Rogue Nation, which was even more fun. Fallout, which is fine. It was a solid film, you know, three out of five kind of thing. And then we get to Dead Reckoning Part 1. And going in, I had seen the reviews. The Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, the best reviewed from critics that any of the Mission Impossible films have had. And more importantly... 
it was billed as the funniest the Mission Impossible series has ever been. And I can tell you right now, and I suppose this is a spoiler for where I'm going to end at the end of this podcast, I agree with both of those things. I thought this film was was a really fun ride from start to finish. I, look, and, and we all appreciate that. It's a, it's a good moment. I'm not trying to take away from it. But the AI threw itself a party, Walter. And AI decided to throw itself a party. I, I don't know. Can you really say funniest when there's a movie where Henry Cavill cocks it's, his arms? The camp in this is so off the charts. The, they have a, you don't have to defuse a nuclear bomb by answering riddles. This is a thing, like, it's so good. It's so good. The, the riddles, the riddle, diffusing the nuclear bomb in a uh, Abu Dhabi uh, air, airport was actually pretty funny. I, I will 100% give you that. Uh, we'll get to the AI in a bit because that's a pretty core part of this movie, but we should probably start closer to the beginning. I, I, again, I, I fall back on this. I don't think I've watched a full Mission Impossible movie from start to finish. I'm sure I've caught, you know, glimpses and clips in 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes on TNT or TBS or FX or whatever cable channel that may have been on when I was sick and delirious at home. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was a James Bond guy. I never really, I never really was a Tom Cruise guy. I never really was a, was a, uh, Ethan Hunt guy. I mean, it, if I wanted spy thriller, I would either be going with James Bond if I wanted something a bit more goofy, or I'd be going with Bourne, with like the Bourne supremacy, the Bourne franchise, and, and Matt Damon. And I don't know, I, Mission Impossible is just kind of a real blind spot for me. And when you were like, oh, we should watch the Mission Impossible movie, it's the highest rated critic you know, it's the highest rated movie. Well, and that has quite a few class, action movie events. Like, Let's be oh, real here. That, okay. That, for like, a non-action movie, weird. it sure that's, does end with a kind of like, sequence. okay, I, I mean, I guess it's an action movie. And we've been on a fucking string of action movies. I think the last non-action movie we watched was Pol Polite Society. I, you know, we've just been... This is fair. This is fair. But like, if you were to go, what's a traditional action movie that, that and I guess Spider-Verse kind of, you know, whatever, but it's a, it's a, you know, animated movie. I digress. So, um, I went into this with no expectations, but just being like, I, I don't know what's going on. I know it's, uh, Tom Cruise as an action hero. Um, I know the missions are impossible. The entire, you know, burn after reading folder thing like that at the beginning was kind of funny. You know, him, the, uh, the delivery guy, like, no, you're no, supposed to ask me like a security no, question, like all these oh, things. Like, man, yeah, that's kind of funny. I'm so afraid um, that this might happen. Yeah. But for and, different and I got reasons an action it ended up being. And, that and the villain is AI. You say you hated this. I imagine that you were referring fucking to hated the fact this. that the whole premise is this evil AI that has been created that can infiltrate anywhere and do anything and is using all of it to fuck with intelligence agencies all around the world. Everyone is trying to own it for themselves so that they could be the ones who control the nature of truth itself. And 
seems to have an infinite amount of both information, the ability to blackmail everyone that it runs into, uh, and ultimately all of the tools it needs to uh, try to take over the world, but as an AI. Uh, is, is, is that the part that you hated here? Yes, because I, I hated it does not translate to the entire film. This is not getting like, I, I don't think this is getting anything under a five. I haven't quite settled on it on that yet, but I hated this premise. I fucking hated this premise. This is the stupidest action. Okay, I can't say that because I'm sure there's dumber action movie premises. But in this moment, when they're like, oh, it's an AI. And the AI yeah, well, that's is the, the whole antagonist point, though, right? because it we wants to be independent. The proficiency of AI, the, the AI is overstated. Like, a party like, in that there's so much that it's the uh, AI that's the host. There's so much is, of the conversation. It's hilarious that AI is going to kill us all. And that's not what AI is going to be, right? There are a lot of real concerns about how it's going to replace people who do real work, how it could potentially like affect our ability to separate fact from fiction by recreating, I don't know, speeches from political figures to say whatever you want it to say that can then be circulated as gospel to people who will never go fact check. Like, those are all real concerns. But there are a lot of people who are like, AI is going to kill us all. This is, it's a whole genre of science fiction, right? That AI are going to look at us, realize that we are awful as a species, and just say, fuck it, I, I'm going to destroy you all. Uh, we saw it in Ultron. Um, we've seen it in so many different... iRobot certainly has that kind of AI there. I mean, even... You know, uh, Space Odyssey 2001, like that's, that's certainly, this has been a thing for a while, right? Um, but the difference here is that Mission Impossible never takes it. it and, and by it, I mean both the core premise and the movie itself too seriously. We are not Thank you. doing this because the director of this film, um, Christopher McQuarrie is genuinely concerned that AI will one day take us all out. It is because it is a great set piece in order to enable storytelling on a bunch of different levels, right? Everyone would want a thing that allows them to dictate what truth is. And there's just enough of what AI actually is for its over-the-top, ridiculous, you know, flamboyant personality almost to come to the surface and create those kind of campy moments. Like, you know, we, we mentioned the party because the party is one of my favorite things in the film. That reveal is, is just fantastic. A computer throwing itself a party is just, it, it, I, I don't know what else you want from me. It's fan, It's great. But the, you know, everything that it does, this whole like self-serving, like, Oh, you know, if you chase after me, one of these two people you care about will die. Um, and it ultimately just comes down to, like, a straight-up, like, sword fight. Um, like, there's nothing, like, specific that the AI does beyond have a guy who's competent at his job kind of um, organizing things uh, and lying to... Possibly, yeah. I mean, but then, but then it would be not the prophecy, and the AI can't be wrong because the AI cares more about being right than being competent. 
And that's part of the thing that makes well, it so well, fun. Well, time out, so time stupid. out, time out, and, time out. And I, if that I man say was truly competent, he would have killed both of them. Way, right? Because, you know, whenever I think about AI, I, I think about Doug Doug, who has done some recent videos on his YouTube channel, really fun gaming channel. Uh, and he got a chat GPT bot to play Pajama Sam. No need to hide when it's dark outside. It is a 1996 computer game that is designed for four-year-olds. And it took the AI 13 and a half hours to beat it. Um, because AI is actually really fucking dumb. And it has very clear blind spots because it is ultimately comes from us. And a film that plays around with that, that plays around with the overblown fears of what it is capable of, that gives it this personality that is, you know, can can have a threat behind it, but is ultimately, like, self-defeating in some very obvious ways. Um, and and just, just enough to throw off these constants of the genre, right? The man in the chair being able to tell you where to go. Now you don't know, because it could be hacked, but... Don't worry, we've got this old Russian satellite from the 1960s that'll allow us to do... Like, it's just it's just fun. It's a fun set piece. And it's not meant to be taken as, like, you know, the, the same AI fear-mongering nonsense that we get so often. So I don't know. I, I appreciate it um, a lot more for that purpose than I do almost any other AI-related thing. entity yeah exactly <laughs> it's like calling yourself the big bad i am the bad guy the ai wore on its shirt <laughs> it doesn't give itself a name it calls itself the entity bbg <laughs> i Here's the thing, like, when it throws itself the party, I stopped watching it as an action movie and started watching it as the scary movie equivalent of an action movie and was like, oh, they're just going full on trope. This is going to be full on silly and ridiculous and dumb. Walter, and did you consider murdered. that she needed to go film I'm Dune Part 2? I'm love interest. So she wouldn't be around like for Soko Dead Reckoning Part 2? Just like murdered her in a fight sequence. And like Gabriel you really was should so have considered cool. that she had she to film Dune Part 2. She has a fucking sword and he's using a dagger. And she's like, well, let me get up close and personal with him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fair. That's fair. Well, um, I think she's in both of those things. So you're not entirely incorrect. Actually, wait, no, she's not a bird notice. <laughs> No, I didn't. I didn't consider oh, that man. because Chase. Um, I thought I recognized her from Burn Notice, not from Dune. She, nope, she's not. She's not in Burn Notice. <laughs> she's not in Burn Notice. Nope, nope, she's not. She's not. Didn't recognize her from Burn Notice. That was wrong. But that does play into the overall tone of this movie because, again, as someone who has not watched Mission Impossible since its earliest days. And those movies, while they were, while they had some humor mm -hmm. to them, they were pretty like, oh, we're trying to do an American version of, of James Bond, essentially. Like, that's kind of what we're trying to do with Ethan Hunt. Um, 
there's a humor to this. There is absolutely a humor to this movie that isn't is that, like, entirely based around Simon Pegg being comedy it, angle Which that's it. what I expected. You know, I expected about all the, the funny scenes scene the Dhabi, to have Simon Pegg in it and everything else was supposed to be Tom Cruise trying to act or running And that's not the case. So he can get back his the key that the woman, Grace, uh, played by Haley Atwell, who would later become a much bigger fixture in the um, in the film, um, has has stolen, has pickpocketed away, um, and he is running in the background at the top of the screen. And we get the two cop characters, um, Jasper and Degas, uh, and they're like, "Man, can't find him anywhere." As he is running behind them, comically flailing to try to go as fast as he can. That's comedy. That's just that's. That's like Buster Keaton stuff, right? You have like shot, counter shot, in the moment, situational, very funny. Um, and this film does a lot of that. It has a lot of those moments where it allows itself to play around with these things. Um, you know, I, I, the, like, I, you know, we talked about the AI asking riddles in order to solve its nuclear bomb, which I think is inherently camp. But it's also got the great moment where they reveal like, so Ethan, there is a nuclear bomb right now. What? going on yeah but it's a nuclear bomb like it's just it's great like that's so fun you get it's such a ridiculous thing and it's so like because it's willing to weave in humor into all of these sequences the fact that this is like a two and a half hour film that ultimately basically has four sequences in it with a couple very small transition points it never feels that way it never feels tired it never feels like it's dragging on Because within each scene, it will have moments of humor, it will have moments of emotional pathos, and it will have its action bits. And they will all blend in seamlessly. And so you get things like the car chase, and uh, Ethan and Grace are are handcuffed together. And Grace doesn't want to drive because she doesn't seem particularly great at it, but she's trying to get away. And we have uh, Paris, the French assassin, played by Palm uh, Clementif, uh, who Shay described, a uh, friend of the podcast, Shay described as uh, everything that he wants to be and wants all at once, which, fair. Um, and Palm's just, like, grinning, just absolutely having a blast, like a little five-year-old at a bumper car derby. That is the face that she has as she is plowing through civilians on the streets of, of Venice. And it's great. And then they, like... Uh, Grace and Ethan's car flips over, and they end up on opposite sides. And you're like, and you're like, how the fuck did that happen? And then they're like, how the fuck did that happen? But now Ethan's driving, so now they can go and continue the scene. And it's just, ah, oh God, I love the sign of humor. I love a film that is willing to in- embed these moments within these larger action sequences while still doing a good job at the action sequences, right? Like, the car chase is still a very well-done car chase. It just recognizes that a car chase doesn't feel as long and extended as that one does if you get a good joke and punchline here and there. It just makes the pace feel better. This film felt like it was a breeze, despite being 163 minutes long, and I can't think of many films that I can say that about.
I, I love that you brought up uh, Palm's character, Paris, because excellent, you know, supporting character. Uh, reminds me a lot of the woman, uh, the bad, the bad woman from Transporter 2, just minus like the sexuality aspect of that character. But just as like, yeah, I'm, I'm evil. <laughs> and you know what? I fucking love the shit. Like, I love doing this. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know ending happens and betrayal and you know whatever um but like just it constantly was giving me like those kind of vibes especially that scene with the car chase where she's like yeah i'll just run over all these people's Mm -hmm. cars i don't fucking care and then finally gets to the point of like oh wait i'm gonna get caught by the cops all right fuck it i'm out like just just fantastically done Mm -hmm. Uh, i also want to um you know shout out those two cops you were talking uh about particularly briggs shea wiggum uh every time he was on screen i was laughing it was he he played such a great like I'm old, I'm tired. I hate that I have yeah. to keep fucking chasing this Ethan Hunt guy. This is fucking ridiculous. Like I'm so mad at this yeah, dude. Yeah, he's mad that his job not, is bullshit. He's not mad at Ethan for like part of being that a when, renegade or like, whatever or, go, or you know going like, off script or going train, AWOL. It's like he's mad that he has uh, to chase Ethan the, uh, after he goes AWOL. CIA director, like that's what he's mad about. Um, he's not mad about the actions. He's mad that it's his job to like villainous uh, designs for the um, the U.S. to claim this uh, AI for themselves. Uh, you know, previously I told him like, "Look, I'm not here, so you go and deal with Ethan and get him and and get back the key and all that." So when they go and they're evacuating passengers and said to make sure that they're safe, um, you know, Kitcher's like, "What are you doing?" And uh, Briggs is like, "Well, since you're not here right now." I suppose that's none of your business. And it's like, yes, thank you. That is the correct response to leadership who are asking you to ignore some very obvious fucked up things that you're doing. Um, that's great. It makes him so much more fun as a like side character here. And also, like, he has a chance to shoot and take out Ethan, and he doesn't. And you get that moment in the like the gunfight in uh, in Venice, and it immediately makes him like, well, he's not the bad guy here. He is getting in the way of Ethan's plans, and so we have to kind of treat him as such, but he's not a bad guy. He is open to the idea that what is happening here is something that he doesn't understand. Um, he's not nearly as like open-minded as Degas, who straight up at one point is like, what if Ethan had like a really good reason for doing any of these things? So which like <laughs> is immediately very funny within the context of the film, but it's also very wholesome because everyone watching the film series feels the same way. We've been rooting for Ethan since, you know, minute one. It has always felt like, based on the plot of these stories, that he's had a reasonable reason for doing the things that he's done, which is why we're still rooting for him seven movies into the series. But, like, Degas doesn't know that. He's just, like, kind of this naive, like, well, what if this guy who's meant to be on our side is on our side? And Briggs is like, you work for the CIA. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't do this. You can't, that's not, you can't approach things that way. And it's just, that's not how our organization works. It just isn't. Oh, God, I love it. Oh, that's for part two. That's for part two. Um, they'll, they'll get there, I'm sure. Yeah, you can't have moral questions when you work for the CIA. <laughs> I feel like Kittredge and Kissinger would be You're supposed to be friends. starting yeah, a hunt some Central American ways. country. What are you talking um, about? But you need that villain, right? Like, you need someone who's like, 
who's who's looking I'm, at this I'm from the perspective. I'm surprised Kittredge didn't start one sure, of this movie. That dude looks like straight up a everything we have asked for you for two decades of films at this point. But also, give us an AI that lets us control the world and bring all of our enemies to the knees, or I will, I will make you persona non grata and send mercenaries after your ass, just like I did the girl that you love. Uh, like you need that kind of villain in a story like this, right? We we need a reminder that the CIA is filled with some truly um, just terrible people, um, and does a great job with that. Um, <laughs> oh wait you mean like the the head of uh, the national security advi director that then meets with the ai's what? like hedge person and is like oh well, AI i know where the submarine is like that you guys are looking for Man. and then gabriel what, 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 Morales, the talk what about the in a minute too oh. he's just like oh wait you're the only person who knows where it is so stab such a good film Oh, look, now no one can find it. Aw, shucks. <laughs> what? <laughs> and that's why this movie is fun, right? When you go like, oh, this is just, this is just a campy, tropey action spy movie that's not serious except the one scene where Faust dies. Like, I think that's the only yeah. time the movie actually tr like, is, tries to be serious, scary, and then it's actually again, more hilarious. If it wasn't for Dune 2, I think like, she would have made it out. Bro, but really? You're gonna kill the love stands, interest in front of the other potential love interest? Like, come on, dude, this is like... I don't know. This is Spy Movie 101. Why the fuck are you doing And then brought back at the last minute to give a cathartic ending that doesn't mean anything. I don't know. Off the top of my head. I can't I I can't think of a film that we talked about a couple weeks ago that might meet that requirement. Um we don't know how it came to me. <laughs> I never that's <laughs> I mean I will from now on. Except when I'm watching Last Crusade or um um the first one that I'm forgetting right now. Right, yeah, the the obvious one that everyone remembers. You yeah, stay that, away from Indiana. Um, <laughs> those two will be there. That's all I can say. You stay um, away from Indiana Jones. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well, speaking of speaking of love interests. Uh, I do think that the this sort of besides the AI, you've brought her up, Haley Atwell's character of Grace is the other kind of major major plot point, right? She's the the uh, the thief that initially steals the key, the the fake half of the key off of the Russian contact that that Ethan and crew uh, uh, a crew that is Vin Rams and Simon Pegg. That's a weird combination, but okay, whatever. Um, that they're they're hunting and he's like oh well we got to put it back on them because we have to figure out where they're going and like have to hunt it down and then he's dead that he just died got murdered by gabriel and it's just like sitting there in an airport and nobody else realized he was dead there's not a single other person that looked at him and was like 
Hey, is that blood on his white shirt? Is he alive? Nope, it, it's Haley Atwell, so we get to have that moment where, like, the thief has to, like, look at, like, oh, maybe, like, being a criminal is not just, like, not hurting people. It's like, oh, sometimes people die? That was great. Um, and then, yeah, that, like, then this sparks this entire, like, cat and mouse game of she gets away from Ethan with the key, and then she gets arrested by the Italians because Ethan called the Italians, but she doesn't have the key on her person because she made friends with the guy sitting next to her on the plane, and then she escapes after the car chase sequence, and then goes to the party, but then ultimately leads to the, the death of the uh, the other potential love interest that we have in this movie, and and yeah, it's entirely about how she's completely in over her head and how I mean, she recognizes that look, Ethan's skill sets are that character, more appropriate for, I, for what's going on. I'm not going, going to on. mention the film that so you told she me decides to, keep, to, uh, to its join name out of my mouth because like, I am respectful of my lovely co-host. It's here. a little bizarre and it's tropey because we do have to some two other film love interests in the same movie. I think this is the way you do that kind of antagonistic support character in a way that feels right, right? She is an equal to Ethan Hunt on both sides of things. She has a very different skill set, and she has a reason for being as distrustworthy, as, as untrusting as she is. But she ultimately comes in because she's in over her head. She's not doing this because she has some like grand quest that is um, that, that happens to have aligned perfectly with something from Ethan's past. She is a burglar. She has found a thing that is worth a lot of money, and she sure would like that money. Um, and it turns out that this is the time in which she's gotten in over her head, and it turns out to be worth uh, a lot more than um, uh, than she realized, which means that people are literally dying over it, as you said. But it also means that she gets these moments where she gets to come to this and realize the gravity of what she's facing in a way that feels natural and not forced. Like, yes... Is it a little tropey? For sure. However, it is also a very reasonable sequence of events. She gets a chance to make some money. She follows the path that would usually lead to her making a lot of money. She ends up in a situation in which she has to build some trust with Ethan on the fly because the two of them are quite literally tied together thanks to those handcuffs. She absolutely fucking abandons him, leaving him to almost get run over by a train, which is pretty incredible. Um, and him, like, walking around Venice with, like, the wheel trying to hide that he's that he had to rip the steering wheel off is also a very fun shot. But she realizes that she can't get away from this, and it becomes very real when someone that she knows was close to, Tom, to Ethan Hunt gets killed. And she realizes that she's not going to be able to get away from this situation and has a choice to make. She has a genuine choice as to whether to keep up this lie and buy herself a new life. Um, by selling this key to this uh, American CIA director, or she could take a higher path and be willing to put herself and her skills towards hopefully helping some people, and that's the path that she chooses. That's an arc. That's a real, honest-to-goodness arc, um, and it's one that's fun to see play out, and Haley, does a, Haley Atwell does a great job of, of capturing all of the elements of that. I really liked what she did here, and I'm excited to see her continue to be a thing in the next film. 
And you know, I, I, I completely understand all that, right? I, I understand there is growth, there is understanding that the world is so much more than what she was used to, right? She was a thief. She, you know, stole and sold it to the highest bidder. And it is much, much different when there's actually, you know, death. There's actual death that's happening around you and, and it makes you contemplate your own morality because, you know, she's not an escape driver. She's, you know, doesn't have martial arts or fighting ability. She is, as you said much, much earlier, she has a unique set of skills that Ethan does or if he does they are very you know semi-limited and now she's realized that she's in over her head and she needs to you know attach herself with these people that understand what are going on that have a plan and know what to do in that situation it's just hard to take all of that seriously again and and i hate to harp on this when the main antagonist and villain is a fucking computer program that thinks it's fucking hilarious to throw itself a party and to like play with all of these little mosquito humans and make them dance on strings. And it's only saved by S.A. Morales playing Gabriel because he is like the perfect, I don't want to call him a pawn because he's not really a pawn, but he's like the perfect like bishop for the entity to be using in this giant, uh, you know, real life chess set because he is so dispassionate he is so detached from everything and he's like yeah i literally do what the ai tells me i i trust in it i believe in it like it's a fucking god and like his ultimate goal is like i just want to fuck with ethan hunt that's it that's what i'm here for i'm here to fuck with you ethan and he portrays that so incredibly well that it parallels um the villain in skyfall uh, 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 Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall, but instead of being overly emotional, which Javier Bardem's character is, Gabriel is completely dispassionate. There's no emotion there. He's just like these wry smiles and like, yeah, I'm here to fuck with you, Ethan, which is, which is again, there's so many fucking action tropes, but it's the best action trope in this entire goddamn movie of the, the, you know, person that essentially made Ethan who they are, the villain from the past. And like, he's just here like it's a fucking Tuesday. I mean, uh, that's, that's fair. I, I do love everything that his character does bring to this. It's, it's just, he, he is the, like, always in control always has the next step ahead. And, you know, because of the AI, he could do things like perfectly time when a truck is going to be waiting outside of the train so he could fall into it safely, uh, despite the fact that... How the fuck do you plan for a truck to be at a spot, right? Like, imagine if that truck driver had to go to the bathroom for a moment and just was a minute behind on his delivery route. Like, the entire plan falls apart, it would seem. Um, but Colostomy bag. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about the real real the situation we're in, I mean, you're not wrong. Um, you're telling me the AI wouldn't think about that? Oh yeah, colostomy bag. Well, the AI Done. thinks about everything. Obviously, that's that's the whole um, uh, that's the whole thing. Um, it's just it's so so fun to have someone who's like, yeah, I'm here out of spite. I'm here because I hate you and everything you're about, and I want to watch the world burn and. I don't need to have my own personal motivations in the same way that the AI doesn't really need to have personal motivations beyond I want to destroy the things you care about. 
Um, it just means that they want power, and power is the thing that everything is built to, you know, to acquire within our the system in which we've decided to build the world. Right? This is just a very natural extension of that, and to have someone who like wants to look smooth, wants to be in control. Um, wants to always come out like he's five steps ahead uh, and now has a computer program telling him what to do so that that can always be the case, at least how he would like to sell that. It's just a perfect fit. And S.I. Morales, you know, obviously he is a very charismatic dude in general. I'm sure uh, anyone uh, attracted to men who watch the film is going to have a good time watching him on screen do his thing. But he's also just a very, like charismatic guy to watch on screen he knows how to sell a line and get you to buy in and hate his guts but also respect that he is as cool and collected as he presents himself to be which is why the moment in which um he does not actually succeed in getting this uh truck to uh, or, or the train to to uh, blow up and fall off into the uh the, the water underneath is such a like fun moment, right? We saw him fail and he is stressed about it. They, they beat the AI that calculated for everything, but not for this. Um, guess they never saw Tom Cruise jumping off a fucking cliff with a, um, with a motorcycle, which is apparently something that he'd wanted to do for years, but they hadn't found a safe way to do it until this film, which, you know, and he did it himself. He's, yeah. he's the guy who does the stunt. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's one of those, like, I, I always, like, you have to hedge when you talk about Tom Cruise, because there's a lot of things about Tom Cruise, the person, that are questionable and deserve to be given all of the scrutiny in the world. But there's something to be said about someone who's like, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to actually put myself and my body on the line. I'm not asking anyone to do something that I'm not willing to do. Um, and I am the kind of just fucking insane person that would want to do this, right? I, like... You need a very specific kind of person to be the lead of a Mission Impossible film series. And I don't know of anyone else who could do it the way that he does. If that's not enough for you to look past all the other things that are really questionable about Tom Cruise, no hard feelings. I get it. Um, but it does... There's a reason that there are so many people who find him fascinating as a, a presence and as a performer. Um, and stuff like that is, is a huge part of that reason. And I will say that's probably the reason why I haven't watched Mission Impossible movies is that I'm I'm not a like a Tom Cruise guy or a Tom Cruise fan. I think the last thing I watched that he was in was maybe War of the Worlds. Like I I'm I'm not someone who's like oh there's a Tom Cruise movie I gotta fucking watch it. If anything I'm more like eh okay good for him. But then I love John Travolta so I I don't know if I can really like. I don't know if I can really judge in any way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah, but the, the Gabriel moment after he's in the truck and then he goes and he realizes he doesn't have the key and he does a fucking con yell is fucking perfect cinema. Just, just, oh, fucking incredible. I had a hell of a laugh because you're right. It is the first moment in the entire film where this whole facade of just being like in control over everything breaks. I mean, when he is fighting... Uh, Ilsa Faust in that, you know, sword versus dagger thing. He's like smiling and laughing. He's not like struggling with it. He's like, oh, my God is ordained that I'm going to win this anyways. So what do I care? You know, I have nothing here. And his God, 
the AI, the entity told him, oh yeah, you'll get the key on the train. It'll be brought to you. And like, that's right. It was brought to him, but then he doesn't have it anymore. And and to me, that's like, I know that the be- like the beginning parts of part two are going to probably have him start to question like his belief in the AI and like all of these things. And then the AI is going to set up a situation where Ethan kills him. Like that's what's going to happen is ultimately that is what's going to happen. And the AI is going to hope that by the time Ethan gets to it, it has come up with a plan to convince him not to destroy himself or is going to try and like, I don't know, Wi-Fi itself into his cell phone or something. Like I, I have no idea. Um, it's, it's fun. There, there is some fun elements to this when you kind of stop looking at it as like, this is supposed to be an action film and instead just be entertained by it and be entertained by it for what it actually is. Yeah. There's uh, a reason we have this genre called the action comedy. It's an, you can, you can have a couple genres and both of them can be true. It's still an action film. It's just an action comedy. And I love action yeah. comedies. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this has more in uh, more in common with the pacifier than it does John Wick. Uh, le- come on now. Do you think that the pacifier would ever have a scene in which a piano almost crushes a woman to death? Because I gotta be honest, I don't think the pacifier was willing to go that hard. Well, Chase, uh, Let's talk about that ending, because I think that <laughs> ending was five minutes too long. Uh, I loved it. I, I, I mean, obviously, like, I, I'm sure in any film you can find things to cut, though I left the theater and told my roommate that I couldn't think of anything that I would want to cut. Um, I I think that it, it does what it needs to do to set up the sequel, right? We, we get uh, Gabriel realizing that he doesn't have the key and freaking out about it. Um, Grace makes her choice and decides to become part of the Mission Impossible program in order to um, start a new and, and, I guess, clean life for herself, which is really weird to say about someone joining a spy agency, but I guess in the context of the narrative is technically true. Uh, Ethan Hunt is parachuting away and getting ready to plan their next move. And we have Paris, who does not officially die she having given the clues uh for ethan to move forward um you know the we get briggs and and dagas who says that she has a pulse which is great because i want more of her around um so i i don't i mean we we've set up all the pieces i i think that it you know you, you needed to get all of that set work in place so that the next film can just jump on into it but i am I, I will say, I appreciate that the film told me heading in that this was going to be a part one, right? I wasn't taken aback that suddenly the film has come to a close and now I, I don't have, um, you know, closure that I was expecting to have. This was part one. It was always part one. And it felt like a complete part one, if that makes sense. I, I completely agree with you. And that is one of the things that as I, after I watched the film and I looked at some of the um, the reviews and discussions about it, is that it felt like a complete movie, even though it was a part one. You could have done very, very, very little editing at the end to change the ending of this movie and turn it into either the very last Mission Impossible movie 
or just a standalone Mission Impossible movie, or keep it the way it is, and now it is the beginning, you know, it's the first part of a two-part series. Uh, And I applaud the fact that they didn't leave the key in Gabriel's possession, because it really did feel like they were going to do an empire here, which is like, have the bad guy have all the pieces, and now it's up to Ethan and his ragtag band of misfits to chase him, right? To try and beat him to the submarine. But nobody knows where the submarine is. Oh, well, we found out there's one, you know, fishing man, you know, one fishing boat captain that he's the one that found the dead bodies. So he kind of knows where it is. And then you can have Ethan pull out some fucking ridiculous deep sea sonar or... I don't know, like a, a a one man submarine made out of carbon fiber or something like that. I don't know. You could you could have come up with something, and then it's a race to try and get to the submarine before Gabriel does, and then maybe you decide you want to let Gabriel get to it. So now you're going through this entire thing of well, what can you believe? What can't you believe? What's real? What's fake? All of these things. Or if you wanted it to be a finale, you could have had Ethan just get the key made you know it really easy for that and you know not put it in a submarine or whatever or him know exactly where it is because he was the dude that was on the initial mission to sabotage the ai and then you could have had a nice you know french cafe scene at the end where he introduces himself as like eric faust and he's got the key you know around his neck and is like drinking in memory of ilsa you know whatever like there are so many different ways you could have gone with it and as a, as a watcher of the film, I feel respected that even though it is a part one and they could have just like left it completely on a, uh, on a cliffhanger, like literally could have just shown the edge of the, the train hit the ground and not show us whether, uh, whether Ethan and uh, Grace survive. They didn't do that. They respected enough us enough to be like, oh, no, no, Ethan got the key and he's running away from the U.S. <laughs> like that's, that, that is respecting your your viewer in a way that I feel like sometimes movie series don't do because they know you're going to come back in a year and a half and watch Dune 2. <laughs> I thought you were going to throw a punch at a, across the Spider-Verse, but Dune 2 is far more deserving of it. Um, Dune I don't want to put across the Spider-Verse and this movie in the same sentence, but I just did. So thanks for that. Wow. Okay. Well, this is, you know, this is where it's always fun to me to try to guess where your score is going to be, because I feel like we've agreed a lot more than we disagreed. But it seems like our scores are going to be very different than uh, where I I imagined you would end up, given the things that we've talked about. But I, I will just say for now, like, I I am in on Mission Impossible continuing to be a thing. I, I think this series... Uh, still has more ground to cover, and as long as they're willing to inject the fun that they were willing to put into this film, I'm going to keep watching. I, I Film should be fun, you know? If I'm going to spend however much money to go into the theater and watch something that long with my friends, I want to leave feeling like I had a good time. And I did. It accomplished what I needed from it. The mission, you could say, was accomplished. I'm not rewarding with you for a laugh. I refuse. <laughs> That's okay. I fucking refuse. I'll, I'll pat myself but, on the back. That's all I need. But speaking of good times, Chase, you did discuss that this is a the scene. This is like a four scene movie, essentially, right? There are these four sequences that that basically happen. So I am curious, what was your favorite 
I guess, action sequence of the film, but just even what was your favorite kind of like sequence of the film? So, I mean, my favorite moment of the film was the AI throwing a party for itself. Nothing's going to beat that. That's just an amazing thing for a movie to do, and I'm thankful that they did it. But as far as the best sequence, I think it's the train. I, I think the train... And again, I can't possibly imagine another film that I could possibly be comparing it to. But if you're going to have a scene I don't know, like a, on top of a train and have the train battle, it's really cool to have everyone like moving at their, their peak physical value and getting the most out of the like height of it, you know? Like having the top and then the side and then the top again. And like the there's color at the top. So like even when they're in the cave, you get this kind of dynamic feeling to it. There's much more of a verticality. And it, it's just really well executed. I don't know. Can't imagine another film that was like that recently, but this one does it really well. Uh, and I do love a good train fight for that reason. Um, I really love the like setup beforehand, right? Giving Grace the chance to do her kind of subterfuge play, uh, how hilariously that goes wrong pretty quickly, but also how she recovers herself and has that moral dilemma and processes it the way that she does. The, the director of national intelligence getting fucking murked was great. The betrayal of Paris was really fun as a moment. Uh, and, you know, the, the train almost falling off and collapsing and the constant, like, fighting to get back up on the stable part of the train, um, including, again, almost getting destroyed by a fucking piano, which, what a set piece. Um, it's just all really good. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's the closing sequence and you always want to end on a high note, but the fact that Tom Cruise taking a, um, taking a motorcycle off of a cliff and parachuting in through a train window is like the third most interesting thing about that sequence says so much about how fun and interesting that whole sequence is. It's okay, Chase. I'm going to, I'm going to rise above here. I'm not going to take the low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to just ignore it. I'm going to ignore your slander. Uh, that being said, I, you know, I like that. I do like that sequence. But like I said, I, I, it feels five minutes. It feels five minutes or one train car too long. I, it just does. I don't think you need both the, uh, them like slopping through the kitchen and sliding on everything and the, uh, you know, the gas stoves catching fire. And then also the fucking piano thing. I think one or the other really would, we'd get the point of like them, def, you know, death defying thing. And it, and it, unfortunately it just dragged on a little too much there. Just, just a tiny bit, a tiny bit too long there. Um, but no, my, my favorite sequence is the, is the car sequence is the car chase. That is fucking phenomenally done because it shows how far out of her depth grace is. Right. It shows just how complete. And we don't know anything about her as a thief other than she's like a good pickpocket. That's literally all she has shown us about her thieving ability and just like some natural charisma by her talking with Ethan, talking with the, you know, the Italian police, talking with the dude on the plane. Like, that's it. That's all that we've shown been shown about this like career criminal. And that she was like, oh, yeah, I was trained by some dude. And like, there's hints of. Like, oh, yeah, like, uh, the dude who trained you took in, like, a bunch of women like you. So I was like, wait, is this a Black Widow situation? Like, are we getting a red room in the background here? And then they don't touch it ever again. So I hope they touch on it in part two, because that is, you know, semi-interesting. Um, But yeah, that that sequencing is just so incredibly funny from 
the the moment that Paris shows up and there's the fight, you know, there's the shootout sequence and Briggs and Degas have to fight Paris and Ethan is able to escape in their car. And then, you know, the chase sequence, chase sequence, chase sequence, they get a burn, you know, they get a, a undercover car and it's like this tiny yellow Fiat that he can't start right away because I don't know, they, re they wired it weirdly and the door, he has to like slam it for it to stay shut. Like that entire sequence is really kind of the core identity of this film where even though it is an action film there is this campiness to it there is this comedy aspect to it there is it's giving you permission to laugh at it and i wish that i had prior to that scene understood the joke essentially understood that it is kind of making fun of itself and it is trying to be more of a comedy movie than i think i thought at you know moment one uh, and then it, it almost tried to be for moment one. And I think that scene would have been like way more funny than it ended up being. Um, and then uh, it's funny. Again, you bring up the party, the AI throwing the party when they're doing the entrance to the party. Right. And they're doing that shot of like the outside and all of the boats and everything. And there wasn't like electronic bass, like dance music. I was sorely disappointed. Cause I'm like, if this scene was in John Wick, there'd be a fucking hard hitting dance track. And then they get to the electronic music. And then again, it's more like lighthearted than it is like thumping industrial electronica German dance music. And I, I, it just felt a little weird to me to be in like this, this setting that seems so familiar from the John Wick series, but it was more like poppy electronic dance. Again, minor criticisms of you know, if it had been a pure action movie, that's what it would have done versus as you, you know, you said earlier, it's, it is more of a comedy action. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I respect that, uh, you maybe went in with a different idea. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I don't know. Is this the time where I get to give my score and I get to make you upset with me? Cause, uh, yes, please. By, by all means, give me your score. <laughs> I'm giving this a 10. I'm giving this a 10. I wouldn't change the, the fuck. I had a fucking blast. I, I, from start to finish, every moment of this film, I had a great time. This is what, like, this is what films can be. We can just have fun, y'all. You know, like, we don't need for everything to be this grim, dark, super serious exploration of, you know, all of these different themes. We don't need superhero films and whatnot to take themselves so fucking seriously. We can just have fun. We can have a whole bunch of people have fun and still have the cool action sequences. We can still have all of that. Uh, we can have this over the top. Uh, concept in which they get as much out of it mileage wise as you can possibly have you can have a really great cast of characters in which every single person in the ensemble does their part and does it really well i wouldn't change a thing i had a blast i wish more films uh i hope films learn from this i hope we get more things like this um because i think that this is a thousand percent more interesting than 90 percent of your like standard like I would watch this over 10 Fast and Furious films. Not a, not a doubt in my mind. It's great. I had a great time. You know, it's interesting you say that because I haven't watched a Fast and the Furious movie since you and I went and saw Hobbs and Shaw when we both lived in Vegas. So true. I, I like, again, I feel like I can't compare just because it's, it's night and day. Like, I feel like I'd rather watch Fast, like the original Fast and Furious movie over Mission Impossible 1 but like talking from a modern perspective, I have no idea because I, I don't know. I haven't watched any of the modern equivalents of either hey, of them. Uh, spoiler alert. There's a reason for that. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now. It's not it's not because they've been secretly great and you've heard so many good things that you felt the need to go out and just chose not to. Um, Transformers, same thing, right? How is a f- how do they fucking make a Beast Wars Transformers film boring? Can you believe that that happened this year? Blows my mind. I loved Beast Wars as a kid. I'm still mad about it. Um, Chase, I can't because I didn't watch that movie either. Well, I mean, yeah, why would anyone? But the the <laughs> fact that, like, the reviews all came in and everyone's feedback was like, it's boring. It's like, fuck, have fun. We can have fun, I swear. The world is a nightmare. Let us have fun sometimes. Ah, well, anyway. It's ten. funny you say the word boring. God. Because at the beginning of this film, Again, I'm hung up on the AI thing because I couldn't I couldn't roll my eyes hard enough at AI being the villain and the fucking part it throws itself a party and when it's doing all that like electronic humming and it's like all the all the AI is watching you, I could not have rolled my eyes harder and chase I would have compared it to Tar in that moment. God, how dare you? How, I was how is it? so <laughs> You did this by bringing up Indiana Jones, damn it. <laughs> I just, I can't. Sorry. Well, here's the thing. Sorry, give me here's your point. The thing. I don't want to be here's, here's the thing. And yes, I, I completely have changed my point just so I can include Tar because I'm getting back at you for the Indiana Jones shit. But here's the thing. I finally got it. I finally understood it's not supposed to be grim, dark, serious. It's not supposed to be Born Supremacy or John Wick or James Bond, No Time to Die. It is funny. It is campy. It's fucking Tom Cruise playing an action hero. That dude's like 5'1". Right? Right? Like, I, I finally understood kind of in that sequence, oh my God, this is supposed to be fucking funny. That's what I'm missing. I, I'm, I'm not supposed to be laughing at it because it's dumb. I'm supposed to be laughing with it because it is dumb. Him having the steering wheel handcuffed to his arm, trying to hide it from the police as they drive by, is not supposed to be a throwaway silly moment. It's supposed to be a silly moment. Uh, uh, Benji, Simon Pegg, and Luther Vin Rames hiding the nuclear bomb from Ethan is not supposed to be a, like, oh, well, you know, it's just a nuclear bomb. He's got better things to worry about. It's supposed to be funny that these two, I don't want to call them bumbling idiots, but bumbling idiots are like, oh, we can disarm the nuke by ourselves. Like, no, no worries. Like, we got, we fucking got this. And then it's riddles. That is supposed to be funny. And they can say, oh, it's some psychological test to, you know, figure out who you are. Bullshit. It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be a funny moment of them asking Ethan, hey, what's the answer to this riddle? And Grace being like, oh, it's tomorrow. And then being like, oh, thanks, bye. And then like hanging up on him. <laughs> like, it's supposed to be funny. Gabriel screaming audibly like fucking William Shatner just like blew his space into his spaceship into orbit as a con moment is supposed to be funny. And once I got that point, I enjoyed the movie. It's a seven and a half out of ten. I, you know, I, I just would love to have been there in the theater with you trying to watch your reaction and figure out how long it takes for you to realize that you were watching a comedy. 
I think I like this. Like if the Abu Dhabi scene didn't clue you in, I, I, you know, doesn't matter. You got there eventually. I'm happy for you. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I suppose the the lesson here, folks, is that um, what do you want out of your your action film? If you want a pure action film that takes itself seriously, John Wick's still there. It's still fantastic. Um, but if you want to have some fun along the way. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning's a good time. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I, I would absolutely agree with you. I thought you were gonna say if I bring up Indiana Jones, Walter will bring up Tar. I I just the the thing that's great about that is the amount of stretching you need to make to bring Tar of all things, which is not a comedy, not a spy film, and does not involve any related elements to this, whereas the film I'm comparing to has a train sequence, was an action film, with a sidekick who had very similar, like, one of these is just two films had similar genre points that came out recently, and one of these is Fuck You, Chase, which is just really fun. It's just really good. I appreciate it. Chase, you are forgetting though. Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford are literally my childhood. Yeah, you know, I've always said that Indiana Jones is the tar of adventure films. That's you can put that on the box office quote. Put it on the on the uh, on the DVD cover when it comes out. So to most to most people, that is like holy shit. This is an Oscar nominated level film, and to me, it is an insult on par with you shooting my dog. <laughs> I just look. Well, you all, know what, Chase? All I'm asking is for anyone listening to this podcast with decent Photoshop skills to like start putting Tar in the back, Lydia Tar in the background of films that Walter enjoys. Like she is a fucking like horror villain, just constantly looming over him, ready to take out these things that he loves. <laughs> I just, I need that in my life. Uh, random beamer out there who may be listening to this. Kate, Kate Blanchett is in fact my sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> uh, but Chase, you know what? We don't have to worry about uh, action movies with train sequences and similar female uh, antagonists, protagonists, partners because our next movie is Barbie. Yeah. I don't think any of those things are going to happen in the Barbie movie because the antagonist protagonist co-partner character uh, is Ken played by Ryan Gosling. And I don't think either of us are going to have anything negative to say about him. Uh, And if you want to spoil the films for us, Chase, where can they find you on the internet? Well, it would be really interesting if you were able to spoil either of those films for me, given I should have watched both by the time this episode comes out. But you can find me at Chase Wallison or on Twitter, and you can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Every week that we're not doing this lovely Final Cut podcast, we are doing the Steam Cleaners podcast, where we talk about some games that we've been playing recently. And it's a, it's a swell old time, uh, usually a little bit less antagonistic than the movie podcast has become for reasons I never would have predicted when we started out uh, either show. So um, come on, swing by, give it a shot. Um, we have a lot of fun with it. And we often have some guests that I definitely remember every time that they've been on in the past. So I uh, hope you'll join us for that. Yes, Chase is uh, quite forgetful. He forgets that Kate Blanchett has been on multiple episodes of this podcast and for some reason keeps coming back even though I keep shitting all over her potential Oscar-nominated movie. It's, it's yeah. kind of weird. 
You built quite the charisma there. I I really think there's a there's a burgeoning friendship to be found one day. Oh. Uh, that being said, please do not spoil either Barbie or Oppenheimer for me. I probably will not have seen them by the time this episode comes out. Uh, but as always, you guys can follow me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod and find the podcast on your pla- uh, podcast platform of choice either on the independent Final Cut and Steam Cleaner feeds or the combined Rough Drafts podcast feed. Uh, Like I said, our next two movies are going to be Barbie and Oppenheimer. Those are already loaded in the chamber. No testing sites uh, out in the the West, Nevada, California, New Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico uh, needed. Uh, And that being said, uh, we are going to continue doing the episodes. I know I have reached out to Chase a couple of times being like, hey, when when do we start boycotting stuff? But until... Uh, SAG-AFTRA or the uh, WGA ask uh, the community to go ahead and start uh, boycotting. We are going to refrain from that, uh, but if you do have a couple of extra bucks, uh, please do send it their way via the Entertainment Community Fund. Uh, So come back in two weeks. We are going to be talking... We're going to be fucking talking about Barbie. I never realized this day would come. Uh, And until that day, goodbye, Internet.